Good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it to Luke chapter 2. Well, we are in Christmas week. Hard to believe, but this is the week that we get to celebrate the incarnation of the Lord. It's been a crazy year, right? 2020 has been crazy. Life has been a bit crazy and Christmas season is always a bit crazy, but I simply want to invite you this morning to take a deep breath, to just pause and to consider Christ this Christmas, to consider Jesus this Christmas in the midst of all that's going on, that we could simply take a deep breath and remember Jesus, remember Christ, because there is conflict, there is stress, there is anxiety associated with all of us. Like we're all feeling that I think right now, but in this season, we don't, uh, we don't look to that. We look to hope in the peace that God gives us, right? There's turmoil everywhere we look, right? There's turmoil in the world. You turn on the news or you look out your window and there's the threat of crime or war or injustice or the pandemic or division or deceit or distrust. You look even closer, right? There's turmoil even on our own homes. We're trying to figure out still how we do life at home. Our kitchens have turned into classrooms. Our couches have turned into offices. I don't know if you follow uh, El Arroyo on Instagram. It's a great follow. They have a, a, a sign for each and every day. And one of them this week was uh, suggesting that you sleep on your couch to cut down on your morning commute, right? So the, this idea like there's turmoil even on our homes, but but even closer to home, we feel the weight of that, right? Like in our homes, our, our closest relationships, there's still some angst and some worry. The finances are tight. I saw a statistic this week that said uh, from 2019 to 2020, the divorce filings have increased 34%. But there's turmoil in our homes. There's turmoil even, even in church as we try to figure out how do we do this thing called a pandemic and gather together and worship together. And then probably the worst turmoil of all is that turmoil that's deep down in your heart, right? That war within. There, there's something that it's hard sometimes to even live with yourself because there's turmoil that's sort of bubbling inside and you don't even know how to necessarily deal with it. That depression rates have tripled from 2019 to 2020. I saw a statistic that broke my heart this week. I was reading and it said that of all Americans 18 to 24, the suicidal ideation rate has increased 10 times from 3% to 34%. There's turmoil within. There's, there's worry, there's stress, there's chaos. And then we come into the Christmas season and we're singing about having a holly jolly Christmas or a, a white Christmas, or we're singing about peace on earth and mercy mild. And we say, that's nice, that's, that's a sweet sentiment, but I don't feel that. Like, I don't feel that peace that's supposed to sort of be here. So then we even have this guilt that we're not uh, walking with Jesus closely enough to even feel the peace that we're supposed to feel. And so we come into this season and we find ourselves wrestling with this idea of peace on earth. But, but church, I've got good news for us, good news of great joy. That even if peace feels far away from us, that peace came near at Christmas. That Christmas is about Christ and Christ is the Prince of Peace. And when he shows up on the scene, he brings with him peace. So it's not far away, it's up close. 
And so Christmas can be about peace. It just doesn't have to be sort of the, the warm, fuzzy sentimentality that we often associate with Christmas or the gifts, right? You don't just get a, a new bowling ball or a pink bunny suit from your Aunt Clara or, or, or a Lexus with a giant red bow on it. Although if that's what you got me for Christmas, I'm, I'm fine. I'm gonna allow you to enjoy your holiday by receiving that gift from you, right? But, but it's so much more than all of those things that Christmas is the starting point of your peace because it's about Christ. And so to, today we're gonna to look briefly in the most, maybe one of the most famous Christmas passages of all in Luke chapter two, made even more famous by Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas pageant, uh, Luke chapter two. But I wanna simply look at three questions this morning. Number one, what is peace? Number two, why don't we have peace? And then number three, How do we get peace? Luke chapter two, let's start in verse eight. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now what a scene. What a magnificent scene. Three questions. Number one, what is peace? Right, the angels just sang about peace, but what is that idea of peace? That this theme of peace is seen really throughout the entire scripture. 375 times in the Bible, the word peace shows up. Five times uh, peace is ascribed to God as the God of peace. Maybe the most famous Old Testament prophecy is found in the book of Isaiah where the the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. In the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, remember he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then on the night of the incarnation, when Jesus was born, the angels sing and they sing of peace on earth. So what is peace? Peace is this idea. In the Old Testament, it's the word shalom, which means contentedness. It means uh, oneness. It means well-being. It means relational uh, uh, rightness. You fast forward into the New Testament, that word peace means a contentedness of soul. That there's a rightness of your soul. So peace doesn't necessarily mean that everything's okay in your life. It just means that everything's okay in your soul, in here. I heard a story uh, about two painters. These two painters were in a competition. They got down to the final two. And here's what they had to do for the final competition. And they were gonna win $10,000 for this prize. And they were simply gonna be given an envelope. And inside the envelope, they had to take that word and they had to create a, a painting based on that word. And the word was peace. 
And so the first artist took his canvas and he took his paint and he went to town and, and started creating this beautiful scene. There was mountains and a, a mountain lake and a blue sky and a happy little tree. And, and off in the distance, there was a young man contemplating all of life and it was just serene and beautiful and wonderful. A great painting. The other artist went a different direction. She took her canvas and she, instead of painting blue, painted black and a, a dark sky with clouds and lightning. And there was a boat that was coming under waves and it was breaking apart. And there was thunder and there was lightning and there was a storm, but way down in the corner on a tiny little rock sat a tiny little bird and from the bird's beak came musical notes. And so they both brought their paintings to the judges and the judges unanimously picked this one as the, the best definition, the rendering of what peace is. Because peace isn't the absence of problems. Peace is in the midst of problems, there's a calmness of soul. That in the midst of the storm, there's still a song. See, biblical peace isn't when everything in your life works out. Biblical peace is when everything in your life goes wrong and yet you still are able to sing. Man, I can remember, this was a few years ago, I was standing in the back of a worship service at the Stone and I was doing counseling with, uh, with a couple and it was just one of those, those situations that just breaks your heart. It was a young family and uh, the, the wife was running off with another guy and she was taking the kids with her and uh, I just was heartbroken for this young family and I was standing at the back of the worship service and I see the, the husband, a couple rows in front of me and we're worshiping and there he is, both hands extended to the sky. In the midst of the, a horrific divorce, a gut-wrenching situation, he was able to still sing. There was chaos in his life and a song on his lips. Biblical peace, biblical peace isn't just when everything's okay, but when everything's not okay. There's a calm in the storm. And I love that the angels, right? Of all the things the angels could have sung about on that evening, what did they choose to sing about? Peace on earth. That's what they chose to sing about. And the one angel comes, he says, hey, don't be afraid, which I think is always funny because whenever angels show up, people freak out and they're like, guys, don't be afraid, you're good, right? But the angel says, don't be afraid. And the shepherds are like, uh, we're still afraid. And then uh, what happens is this, like, I, I, here's what happens in my mind. It's almost like a zipper opens up the sky and heaven is, is, is sort of coming uh, out and, and the angels can't even withhold their songs anymore, right? Because something's about to happen, that the skies burst forth. It says the heavenly host, that means an army of angels. And they start praising and glorifying God. You know how when you were a little kid, you just couldn't wait for Christmas. When me and my brothers were, were little, we'd like count down. It was like Christmas Eve, 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 like go all the way back to like December 1st. Uh, you just couldn't wait for Christmas. There's something about this moment. It was almost as if the father couldn't wait. The angels couldn't wait that they burst forth glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace on whom his favor rests, on whom he is well pleased. 
Something was about to happen where all the hopelessness and lifelessness and, and, and heaviness and rebellion, it was all about to be dealt with. And so the angels sing. Man, that sounds great. Second question, sounds great. Want some of that peace? Then why don't we have peace? Why is it so elusive? Look, we wanna like, sign us up for some of that. We want some of that. We don't feel that right now. We feel the opposite of peace. We feel angst and worry and stress and anxiety. Why don't we have peace? I mean, we, we feel this sort of angst even among other people, right? We're socially distanced, but we're also spiritually distanced from God. So many folks that I'm talking to, they're like, I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to other people. I don't know if y'all have gone to like H-E-B lately, but you just feel this sort of weight and heaviness shopping for your bluebell. Like if you get eye contact with somebody, you're like, oh gosh, I looked at somebody. You know, or if you actually speak to them, they look at you as if, what are you doing? You can't talk to people. And it's just sort of this heaviness in the world that we live in. And yet we say we want peace. So why is peace so elusive? Well, I think it's because we don't finish the verse. 2.15, it says, it reminds us that peace comes, right? Let me read that again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, what? Among those with whom he is pleased. Among those with whom he is pleased. See, our lack of peace isn't circumstantial. Our lack of peace is relational. It's not just because there's crazy stuff going on out there. It's because we've got a broken relationship with God. Did you know this? That the Bible talks about this idea that we weren't just indifferent to God, but we were hostile to God. Romans chapter eight says it like this, verse seven. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Colossians chapter 1, 21. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. See, why is it that peace is elusive? Because we have a broken relationship with our heavenly father. We have a hostility towards, not just an indifference towards, a hostility towards him. That before Christ, we were, we were uh, unfriendly, antagonistic. We didn't want God to tell us what to do. We wanted to define what was true. We wanted to set the pace and the agenda for our life. We wanted to be in control. We thought if we could just be in control for a little while, we would have the peace that seems so elusive. If we could just be in control for a little while, uh, we would have happiness. We would have prosperity. We would have all the things we hope for. It's the same lie that we believed back in Genesis chapter three. God, if we could just have it, then everything would be right. And so we had this sort of hostility. And even as Christians, our, our lack of peace stems from this idea that we're sort of slipping back into that enemy identity, that hostility mindset, that we find ourselves saying, God, I got this from here. But something happened in the incarnation. That peace was made available. You see, if our greatest problem our greatest lack was simply ignorance. God would have sent a teacher. If our greatest lack was just busyness, God might have sent, I don't know, a life coach. If our greatest lack was simply illness, God would have sent a doctor. If our greatest lack was just indifference, God would have just given us a little bit more motivation. But our greatest lack was hostility. And so God sent us a savior. A savior was born for us. 
Guys, this, is, this, this idea that, that he is waging war on that which we waged war on him for. Everything that we said, God, we got this. He says, you don't. Man, Colossians chapter uh, 1 verse 19, here's what it says. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That the relationship that Jesus had with the Father was one of not hostility, but of pleasure. That Jesus perfectly submitted. That Jesus was the perfect son. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where you and I fall short, Jesus was joyfully obedient and had the pleasure of God. Perfect relationship with the Father. But watch this. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That God waged war on that which we waged war against him. He went to war against that which tore us away from him. Our hostility, our sin, even our death. He brought us peace at the cost of the cross. That he waged war on it. And so he went to battle. So, so Christ purchases your peace at the cross. He made peace by the blood of the cross. And church, here's why this is good news. Because all the pleasure that God had in his son Jesus for being the perfect son, all that God was pleased with Jesus for being perfectly submitted, everything that God felt towards Jesus in those moments of perfect submission, God now is pleased with you in Christ. You're not waging war on him because he waged war on that which tore you from him. So you have peace, not just warm sentimentality, but true lasting peace because God is pleased with you because you are in Christ. That's why when we sing, hark the herald angels sing, man, I get chills every single time. Hark means listen, pay attention to the song that they're singing in Luke 2. Listen up, hark, listen, the angels singing. And what do they sing? They sing peace on earth and mercy mild, what? God and sinners reconciled. I remember the first time I sang that as a believer in Jesus. I came to Christ through a ministry called Young Life in high school. I was 10th grade. So I came to Christ in the summer and, uh, and, and then went to church on Christmas Eve. I was, a, I was a baby Christian, maybe four or five, six months in. And we start singing, hark the herald angels sing. And I get to this line, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. As a 16 year old strapping young lad, uh, I, I just burst into tears. And my mom is standing there like next to me going, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening. My son is a mess here. And I'm weeping. She's like, are you okay? I was like, I've never been better. I'm, I've never understood. I've sung the song a million times. God and sinners reconciled. Peace is mine because Jesus is mine because Christmas is about Christ, not about all the other things. It's about Jesus. It's about the Prince of Peace who has come. And so I can join the triumph of the skies. I too can sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And guess what? Today he is pleased, not because of my perfection, because of the perfection of Jesus. And what a glorious gospel, what a wonderful savior. 
So church, I hope you don't get tired of singing Christmas songs. I know a lot of us are like, fast forward, please don't. Just embrace them for a couple of weeks, at least a couple of days, right? Just embrace the beauty that you too could join the triumph of the angel songs as we sing. All right, last question is this. How do we get it? How do we get this peace? We want it. One, time, one last time, verse 14. Let's look at the angel's song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels sing about two things. Remember, they could have sung about anything they wanted to. They sing about two things. They sing about glory and peace. Glory and peace. We saw, we've talked a lot about peace. What about glory? Why did they sing about glory on that night? The idea of glory means weight, means heaviness. It means mass, means worthiness. So whenever I think about it, I think about this. When I was a little kid, there's a creek in our backyard. And one of the things that I guess little boys just love to do is they like to make dams. They like to block up the creek. And so we would get rocks and sticks and mud and we'd try to, to make dams in the creek. But we'd throw little rocks in and throw little rocks in and it just never did anything. So we got smart. So I'd get my buddies and we would get uh, around the biggest rock that we could possibly find. And we'd get down on that rock, we'd lift with our legs, not with our back, and we'd lift that rock and we would shimmy over to the creek and then we would one, two, three, drop the big rock in the creek. And of course, what would happen? Well, all the creek would be displaced, the water would be displaced. Why? Because of the weight of the rock. The rock was so heavy that the creek had to move around it. It, it forced itself uh, to, to be in the middle so that everything else changed around it. What happened at the incarnation was, was the rock of the weight of the glory of God. It, it entered into the human situation and the course of our lives, the course of human history has to flow around it. Everything changed because the glory of God had come. It had displaced worry, it displaced fear uh, by its beauty, by its weight, by the glory of God showing up. Everything else had to change around it. So when we see the glory that comes, when we, we have to recognize this, that when, when glory goes to God, peace comes to you. When glory goes to God from your life, peace is the result of that. When you stop the hostility and the striving and the controlling and you're saying, God, this is about me. When we begin to first understand that the incarnation, what happened is that it's about him. Man, peace is the result of that. You cease your striving to be the center of the universe and you recognize that he is and you have peace. That's why glory and peace are what we sing about at Christmas. Man, because, because I, I think so many of us are experiencing the opposite of peace. And what happens if we sort of live in this prolonged uh, lack of peace, this anxiety-ridden, uh, stress-filled state is that we, we one of two things. We either forget and, and don't believe that peace is ever actually possible. Like we sing about it, but we don't believe in it. Like maybe one day peace, but not, I mean, not now. Or we try to control everything so much that we create peace for ourselves. We try to be so in control of all that is that, that we're going to enforce and, and bring about by our own sheer will a certain sense of peace. 
Both of those are flawed. Neither of those work. Because we recognize that it's not just when we fix everything out there, then we'll have peace in here. Because if you've been around the block long enough, you recognize that everything out there is not calming down. There's never a magical moment at which everything is perfect in your life. Maybe for a second and then it seems to vanish. See, if everything out, you're waiting for everything out there to stop so that peace can happen in here, you'll be waiting for a long, long time. But the good news is that peace has come in here so that in the midst of everything out there, you can still sing. You still have a song in your heart. You can still be reminded like the angels to sing of peace on earth. And when everything's crazy, when jobs are crazy, when finances are tight, when your kids are driving you crazy, when your parents are driving you crazy, you can take hope in this, that those things don't control your life. There's one who is in control. Right, he's the sovereign king who is, has all power. He's the heavenly father who knows all your fears. He's the prince of peace whose crown brings contentment. He's the rock of your salvation who is steady in your storm. He's the one who brings peace. It's the kind of peace that the world hopes for and longs for in church, it's yours. You have it today. You have access to peace because you know Jesus. And he has gone before you so that the peace that is surpassing understanding is available to you so that you can sing in the middle of your deepest and darkest storms. And that you too, like the shepherds, can run to Jesus and praise God and glorify him. That's how the story ends, remember? Remember what the shepherds did? They see uh, the one angel, don't be afraid. They're kind of freaking out. And then all of a sudden they see an army of angels and they're like, okay, now I'm really freaking out. So what do they do? I love this in, in verse 15, it says this, and they went with haste. Like we don't say that a lot. You know what that means? They ran as fast as their little shepherd legs could possibly carry them with their Birkenstocks and they took off running as fast as they could possibly go. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as has been told to them. They did two things. They made haste to Jesus. They got to Jesus as fast as they possibly could. They didn't run away from the angels. They ran towards Jesus. They made haste. They got to him. They wanted to see him and to know him. And once they saw him and knew him, what did they do? It says they praised God and glorified God. You know, there's this, there's this thing in the Bible where, where we see this sort of reciprocity. And so we see the beginning of the story, the angels doing what? It says they're glorifying and praising God. And here at the end of the story, we see the shepherds what? Glorifying and praising God. See what, what the angels were doing at the beginning, now the shepherds are doing at the end. The shepherds are praising and glorifying God because the shepherd had come, the one who would care, the one who would know the sheep, the one who would lay his life down for the good of the sheep had entered the scene. And because of that, they praised and they glorified God. See, what started in the manger ended at the cross. And the reason you can make haste to Jesus and praise God for Jesus is because he absorbed, he displaced all of that all of that worry, that fear, the sin that so easily entangles and the death that was yours, he took it on himself. 
so that you could have life and so that you could have peace. So church, here's my hope for you this Christmas, that you'd be able to celebrate like the shepherds celebrated on that Christmas. No matter what's going on in your life, and I don't know, but you do, and God does. And no matter what's going on, how dark the night feels right now, that you'd be able to sing in the midst of that. You'd be able to join the triumph of the skies because glory has come and with it peace. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the blessings that we have in you. God, what a joy it is to be your people in the midst of the storms and the chaos and the worry and the fear. God, we can still sing. So Lord, let us be reminded of that. That you've told us your peace you bring, your peace you give us, not as the world. And so Lord, let us be reminded of that. I pray for my friends that that peace wouldn't just be a concept that they have heard about or have sung about or read about, but it would be a reality in their lives this week as they celebrate the Prince of Peace has come. So Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you give us a song to sing that we might sing of the peace that we have and we might celebrate that that the Prince of Peace has come. We love you and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.